And I'm going to share with you a little bit later on some of the uh, really exciting things that God is doing, I think, in, in our ministry. But um, some of you, you know, might be here and be not familiar with Jews for Jesus. So let me set the context a little bit this morning. You know, we are missionaries to bring the gospel to, to our own Jewish people, like Dan said. And if you know something about the Jewish people, you know that we are not raised to say yes to Jesus. Um, on the contrary, we are raised to really um, have a big no to who Jesus is. And we are taught, even though it's not true, we're taught from the time we're kids that um, if you become a Christian, you've become a traitor to your people and that you've stopped being Jewish. And none of that's true, and yet that is what we learn. And you really get to see this. If you ever come out with us, when, when we hand out tracts in the large cities, we do a lot of this where there are, you know, large concentrations of Jewish people. And I've done this, and, you know, Jewish person always comes along, they say something like, um, you should be ashamed of yourself for believing in Jesus. Or no matter how old or how young you are, somebody always says, does your mother know you're doing this? But more and more we get the answer we really want to hear. How can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? Explain to me what it's all about. We love to, uh, to address that question. And um, this morning I, I really want to focus in on, on the name of Jesus. There's a verse in Matthew, in Matthew 121. Usually we read it at Christmas time. But the, the verse there, um, you know, it's the, the story of the birth of Jesus and, and the angel is coming and, and, and uh, explaining what's going to take place. And Matthew one twenty one says, And you shall call his name Yeshua, Hebrew for Jesus. Why will you call him Yeshua? Because that name means what the angel explains, because he will save his people from their sins. But I have to tell you that over the years, the name of Jesus has not been a positive name for most Jewish people in this world. You know, many of the older generation have memories of when they were kids being called Christ killers. And the name of Jesus stuck in their throat. Of course, if you ask Jewish people today who... who you know, didn't grow up with that sort of an experience, grew up maybe just in a more positive way, you still say, who is Jesus to you? What does his name mean to you? You probably hear that. He's a good teacher. Um, you know, he, he was a good rabbi. And then you, you press the point like I've done a few times. So do you know what he taught? Have you ever read the New Testament where it tells us what he taught? No, I haven't. Well, do you know what he taught? Yeah, he taught everyone to be nice to one another. And it stops there for a lot of Jewish people. In Israel, meanwhile, they don't even know his right name in Hebrew, his correct name. All Israelis grow up thinking that his name is Yeshu, which in centuries past was, a, was an acronym for the Hebrew expression, may his name and memory be blotted out. They don't understand that's what it means today, but still, they don't know what his name really is. But his name signifies that he's going to save his people from their sins. And 
you ask, do Jewish people have much of a sense of sin today? Because if you don't have a sense of sin, you know, you're not going to um, see the need for a savior. And the answer is no. <laughs> Most Jews today are pretty secular, not very traditional like we were about 100 years ago. And the average Jewish person today probably thinks about sin as much as the, the, the typical man in the street, woman in the street, which is to say not a lot at all. I certainly didn't grow up with, with um, any sense that we needed a savior to deliver us from our sins. I grew up in a, in a pretty liberal home in, in Brooklyn, New York, and you know, we were pretty liberal-minded, like most Jewish people um, of the last you know, half century, maybe. Um, we were open to anything except for Jesus. And it's true, you know, in the Bay Area, you have Jews involved in in New Age, in Buddhism, and I'm not kidding, they call themselves Jubus, the Jewish Buddhists, Jubus. <laughs> there, there are books on this. But, you know, anything goes, but Jesus is still the big no. And that's how I grew up, you know. And if someone had just walked up to me out of Parkway Community Church and said, you need to believe in Jesus, I probably would have said, I'm Jewish, he doesn't apply to me. We don't believe in that name. But I began to explore other spiritualities. I started to um, read the writings of a kind of a psychic guy you might have heard of called Edgar Cayce. I, um, and actually it was through him that I got interested in the fact that maybe Jesus was the way to God. Because um, Edgar Cayce, you know, he was all, all really new agey and said a lot of weird things that got written down in books. And you know, I think at one point he said the lost continent of Atlantis was going to rise in 1968. And when it never rose, well, uh, you know, I was so sold on what he had to say, I figured it really did rise, only nobody noticed it yet. <laughs> you know. And he even said some things about Jesus. And because his Jesus was not the Jesus of the church, of the Bible, but very Eastern with reincarnation and all that sort of thing, that Jesus was okay for me. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, maybe Jesus is the way to God. Well, to make a long story short, Edgar Cayce never said anything about sin, and this Jesus didn't change my life at all. And I continued my spiritual search from high school into college. When I was in college, I, I started studying Eastern religions. I bought a book called 500 Ways That People Can Grow, and it had everything in alphabetical order from astrology to Zen Buddhism. And I settled on yoga when I got to the Y section. And I thought maybe yoga is the way to plug into God. So I bought this book with, you know, the guru in all the different positions that I couldn't twist my own body into to do what he was doing. So I figured salvation's only for flexible people maybe. <laughs> and just kept up my spiritual search. But I finally met a Christian from one of the campus Christian groups. And I, I kind, of, kind of call this coming in through the back door because, you know, if it wasn't for Edgar Cayce and all his new age Jesus, I probably wouldn't have been even that much interested. But because of that, I got into a conversation with this guy who became my friend. And one thing that came out of our talks is that I, I really hadn't dealt with the issue of sin 
And that is why we need Jesus, not just to say in our heads he's the way to God, but to be the one who saves us from our sins. Yeshua, he will save. Amen. Well, it's interesting that we're talking about this now because in just a couple of weeks on the Jewish calendar, we start a time of the year that even secular Jews usually do something with. And that's a period of time called the High Holy Days, the most solemn time of the Jewish calendar, um, where you start out kind of on a joyful note with the Jewish New Year, but 10 days later, you get very serious because that is called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the day when we are really supposed to think about our sins. And, you know, even non-religious Jews just like some people go to churches, you know, only on Christmas or Easter, some Jewish people only go to the synagogue on the high holy days. It's kind of expected. It's traditional. Now, on Yom Kippur, you can find people in the synagogues all day long. And as far as the secular Jewish people go, I kind of say it's the one day when you, you kind of pray to the God you don't believe in to forgive the sins that you don't think you have um, because it's the traditional expected thing to do. But it's maybe the one day of the year when a lot of Jewish people who, who don't think about the issue of sin at all will be thinking about it on this particular holiday. And in fact, there is a scripture reading uh, that's done on this day or during this season. It's from Genesis 22, the wonderful and strange story of how God was called, a call, how God called Abraham to sacrifice his son. He said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. God says, well, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and bring him to the mountain that I will show you, and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering upon uh, the mountain. Strange command. I mean, God does not approve of human sacrifice, but Abraham listens, saddles up the, the donkeys, uh, loads the wood, and the, what they need to build the, the, the fire and the altar. And they go up the mountain, and there Isaac is asking his father, Abraham, I, I see the wood and, and everything else, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And, and Abraham says, my son, God will provide the lamb. They keep going, get up there, build the altar, Abraham ties his son Isaac and raises the knife to kill him. And at this point, everyone who reads the story wants to know what's going through everybody's minds. What's Abraham thinking? What's Isaac thinking? What's the angel thinking? Everyone wants to know, but it doesn't tell us. It just says, Abraham got ready, and the angel of the Lord cried out a second time, Abraham, Abraham, and he says, here I am, and the angel says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not touch him, for now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And they look up, and there in the bushes, there, there's a ram, and, and they take the ram, and that becomes the offering in place of Isaac. And God provided. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. In Hebrew, uh, Jehovah Jireh. And I don't know if you sing that chorus here. It's a I really like it. It's half in Hebrew, half in English. You have to make both parts rhyme. You know, you sort of have to go Jehovah Jireh, my provider, 
and, and just put it together like that. But uh, I really like it because it does speak to us of God's uh, wonderful provisions for us. What's it got to do with Jesus, though? There was a Jewish painter named Marc Chagall, 20th century painter, well-known if, you, if, you, if you're into art. And he actually painted a lot of Bible scenes, including one that he called the Sacrifice of Isaac. And there he's got everything from Genesis 22, the passage read during the season when we think about our sins. And he's got, he's got Isaac on the altar tied up. He's got Abraham with the knife. He's got the angel of the Lord crying out. He's got the ram in the bushes. But he's got something else you don't expect from any Jewish painter. He's got a scene in the upper corner of Jesus carrying the cross. And the color red is dripping down from that onto Abraham and Isaac. Mark Chagall was not a Christian, yet he understood something that most Jewish people do not understand. He saw there was a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And maybe he was thinking that just like God called Abraham to offer up his son, his only son, so there's that very famous verse in the New Testament in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I think Mark Chagall saw something about that. He didn't quite take that step of faith, you know, but he saw some reality of the New Testament being foreshadowed within the Old and as God called to Abraham, don't sacrifice Isaac, now I see that you love me. So in John, it's a little bit different, isn't it? God so loved the world that he did go ahead with the sacrifice of his son for us. And this is the story that we read at this time of year. Genesis 22 kind of read because it does help us think about our sins and that there was sacrifices going on in the Old Testament. And maybe this year, some Jewish people will finally make that connection, you know, and see, wait a second, this is not complete without what God says in the New Covenant, the New Testament. You'll call him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. You know, if you don't think there's sin, you don't. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> wow. If you don't think you have sin, like I've said earlier, you're not going to see um, the need for a Savior. But, you know, I was, I was in Israel on an evangelism trip a few, a few years ago. And um, there was a, a young man there who said to me, um, if Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't there peace in the world? 
the question we hear all the time from Jewish people. Good question. After all, when the Messiah comes, isn't the idea that he's supposed to bring peace and make the world wonderful for all of us? But what I said to this, this young man was this. I said, you know, God could snap his fingers and bring peace this second, but if we didn't change on the inside, if our hearts stay the same, we'd mess the world up again in just a few weeks. I said, if you want peace in the world, you know, you, you've got to do your part. You have got to, you've got to make peace with God the way he has set it about through Jesus, and he'll turn you into the kind of person who can bring his peace to the rest of the world. God's not just going to force his peace on, on us. He wants our hearts to change, you know, because we are, after all, the root of the problems in this world, most of them, you know. When we talk about sin, we're talking about each one of us. Sometimes I, I say to my colleagues, you know, if we could only get rid of the people, we could all finally live in peace. And they kind of look at me funny. But we are the problem, and God wants the solution to start in our, in our hearts. Um, you know, most people today, the idea of sin is, is you know, old-fashioned, not realistic, um, kind of a, a negative thing that we, we, we don't really need to emphasize. I don't know about you, but um, I, someone actually asked me this the other day. They, 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 um, I, was, I was in a small group of my own church, and, and they were saying, you know, why, um, why does God just let this evil keep going on? If he's there, do something. I said to him, you know, I'm not excusing evil, nor is God. Yet, I think that the existence of suffering and evil and tragedy in the world gives us a reality picture, a reality check on life, shows us that there's something really wrong out there. And God uses what is not good. He uses this evil in the world, our own sinful actions and thoughts and behaviors to draw us to him. Because it holds before us the reality that there is something wrong with the world called sin. And it drives us to him. When the angel said, um, you will name him Yeshua because he'll save his people from their sins. Well, maybe the Jews of Jesus' day were a little more traditional and they, they knew that there was sin to be dealt with. Yet they didn't expect that the Messiah was going to be the one to deal with that. They expected, kind of like this young man in Israel, that when the Messiah came, he would destroy the, the armies of Rome, he would destroy all the enemies of Israel, and then we would always and forever live in peace. And people were reluctant to see that the problem lay in the human heart. Yeah, when I came to faith in Jesus, that's what I had to confront. And when I finally did, back in my college days, Syracuse University, if anyone knows it, upstate New York, at the end of my sophomore year, I felt like I was fighting God and I put my trust in Jesus as he is in the scriptures, in the Bible. And I'm not an emotional guy, 
and I don't have lots of emotional experiences, but that was one time when I felt like a light switch had, had flipped the other way. And I realized something was different, and something was new, and something had happened. And uh, I, I actually got excited about that, set up a book table on my campus with gospel literature for Jewish people, and then the rabbi, campus rabbi, and I was a member of the, of the Jewish student group, campus rabbi started a series of classes that he called Answers to Jesus Freaks. And um, first class, about 20 people showed up. After that, everyone lost interest except me and the rabbi. <laughs> and we argued for the rest of that school year. And one of the things we argued about was, you know, that, um, that Jesus was the sin bearer for us. See, in Judaism today, you don't need a sacrifice for sin. In Judaism today, it's sufficient if you repent, do good deeds of charity, fast on the Day of Atonement, and then God will forgive your sins. But that's because we've gotten far from what the Scriptures have to say. And we know a little bit differently. We know, look, if there wasn't a problem to be dealt with, there would have been no need to send Jesus. Why did he come? Why did he die? Why bother? You know, the, a secular person, true story, was one time asked, why did Jesus die? And, and the idea of divine purpose was so far from their mind that they said, because he stopped breathing. Which is, you know, probably technically true, you know. But there was a purpose to it. And as Christians here today, we know that that purpose was to give us life by forgiving our, our sins. It's not just at this time of year, though, that we proclaim that Jesus came to, to uh, you know, bear our sins. We proclaim the name of Yeshua year-round. I guess Jews for Jesus in something like 22 cities around the world. And you say, what are you known for? Oh, we're probably known for being bold and visible and um, just out there confronting the Jewish community with the gospel. We do a lot of street evangelism. We want to be public. We want to proclaim. But just like um, Jesus, oftentimes when he spoke, he, he tied into what people were thinking about with his parables and other forms of teaching. He connected what they thought about, what they knew about, to the gospel and to himself. We do this also. Or we try to. You know, we're often told that you, you Jews for Jesus is a contradiction in terms. You can't be both Jewish and Christian. We've got a track called Vegetarians for Meat. <laughs> we take the gospel seriously. We don't take ourselves that seriously, you know. This one is called Be More Jewish. The punchline is by believing in Jesus. And we wrote this for an atheist convention. Atheists, some of us who believe in God, appreciate you. And, you know, typically we... we we, we go to large cities, um, pro probably New York City more than anywhere else. We've gone to New York every summer since we began as a ministry, about two dozen people. We get out there on the streets. Downtown New York's busier than downtown Fairfield. So you can, <coughs> you can get out there 7.30 in the morning. The crowds don't stop, right? Get into conversations, hand out literature. Um, you can um, do this again at noontime. 
Again, when the people are leaving the city, and then the fourth time for the late night activities, it's intense. You can do this for about a month. But at the end of one of these campaigns, you know, we've handed out over a million tracts in New York, gotten into thousands of conversations, maybe prayed with a few dozen people to receive the Lord, Jewish and Gentile, and follow those up, and get names of Jewish people and others who are willing to consider the gospel. They're not ready for that step of faith, but they want to hear more. And um, New York's just a wonderful place to do evangelism. Uh, anyway, New Yorkers will always talk about anything and everything. But now we've taken what we've done in New York City, we've gone to other cities around the world, but we're focusing on Israel. We have committed ourselves now to doing 12 evangelism campaigns in 12 regions of Israel over six years to a year. We're about halfway through. Israelis are open more than many other Jewish people to talking and considering who Jesus is. Remember, they don't even know his name there. They think he's called Yeshu, which meant originally, may his name and memory be blotted out. We, we've been running this whole um, kind of media campaign that says Yeshu, the name they know him by, equals Yeshua, his real name, equals the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means salvation. Plus, that's why he came. About, I don't know, two or three campaigns ago was, was one of the best ones because we collected names of about 2,000 Israeli Jews who want to know more about Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Well, what I'd like to do, though, is we actually have a, a, a video clip of what the campaigning in Israel is like. And I'm going to ask that we, uh, we run that at this point. I think it's about five minutes long. And you'll actually see in that clip those banners in Hebrew that say Yeshu equals Yeshua equals Yeshua. So you can see how we do it. And um, why don't we do it? As Christians, we sometimes think of Israel as a place rather than a people. Today, more than five and a half million Jews call Israel home. They live in the heartland of their Messiah, and yet they are completely unreached. In religious Judaism, rabbis, they have all the authority. They say Jesus isn't the Messiah. We say he is. Like the early church in the book of Acts, there is an ongoing struggle in Israel to reach God's chosen people, to reach Jews for Jesus. Behold Your God Israel is an essential evangelistic effort by Jews for Jesus. Its name is taken from Isaiah 40, verse 9, where God says, Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold Your God. Started in 2008, the goal is to complete major evangelistic outreaches in all 12 regions of Israel. During each four-week campaign, the teams live at a base camp where they eat, sleep, pray, and worship. 
The task is difficult, but the message is simple. Jesus is the promised Messiah. If we really believe it's a matter of life and death, if we really believe this is the Messiah, how can we be quiet? We have to say something. So I want Christians to understand Jewish people need to believe in Jesus, that when it comes to Jesus, Israelis know almost nothing. Less than one-tenth of one percent of the Israeli population knows who Jesus is. That's less than 6,000 people in the entire country. There are many challenges facing Jews for Jesus. Violence from religious extremists is all too common for the missionaries. They have been pushed, shoved, spit on, and been verbally attacked. Oh, I'm gonna stand here till you leave until you white piece of trash. You people, okay, are a little blind to what's been done in the name of Christ. Despite the opposition, the Jews for Jesus missionaries are not discouraged. In fact, there is great joy when someone engages in a spiritual conversation. They called me and I met with Peter, and I really enjoyed those meetings. From then on, I started reading the New Testament. Every page, I felt like I'm getting closer to the truth. I was born in Israel. I'm a Jewish with a Jewish background. And I just heard about Jesus. I've never got to know him. I feel stronger. I feel like I'm about to discover something that I didn't know that before. There is a sense of the eternal in what Jews for Jesus is doing in Israel. Yet there is still much to accomplish. The dream and the reality are very different. Jerusalem storms of ancient forum. We want to stop waving, start loving again. Jesus came not only from the Jewish people, he came for the Jewish people. I'm now in the process of receiving Jesus. I got a feeling that something is waiting. Something good. It's a great sense of joy that we're all very, very motivated just to spread this gospel. We have this great sense of purpose, great sense of privilege. She's starting to slowly, slowly taking off the veil from the eyes of the Jewish people. I can feel it. My flower of the sun. And to the best of my knowledge, the uh, three Israeli seekers that we saw there have since come to the Lord. So it's encouraging what God is doing out there. You know, we take the gospel so seriously, but we will try any and all creative means uh, to get out there 
and uh, share him if it means holding banners over the freeway or like something. I actually did this the other day in the farmer's market down at the Civic Center in San Francisco. I got a carrot costume. And we have this track called Meet the Human Vegetable. And I was there handing out, you know, literature and talking to people. Um, we want to be creative. We want to get the word out however we can do it. And we want you to be part of that too. So here is what I would like you to do. The brochure that you got with your bulletin says Jews for Jesus on the front of it. So if you take that out and unfold it all the way, there's a tear-off portion. I want you to follow my instructions carefully. Bend it towards yourself on the dotted line. Now bend it away from yourself. Now bend it back. This is an ancient Jews for Jesus ceremony called the ceremony of tearing the card in unison. So on the count of three, we'll tear it. One, two, three. All right. And if you need one of these, if you don't have one, I think every family does, but hold up your hands, and uh, I would ask the usher if there's, there are some hands being held up, if a uh, gentleman could, could pass those out to the people with their hands up. You could probably see them better than I can because um, of the uh, spotlights here. But just keep your hands raised, and I believe people will come. If you raise it, they will come. On the front of this card, fill in your name and address. Uh, there's a space for your email. If you fill out this card, we would like to send you 200 Jews for Jesus every month. <laughs> That's about how many there are in our staff, but we're not going to knock on your door. We've got a newsletter uh, for Christians that we will send to you. Some of you get this already. Um, it's not to send you a lot of unwanted mail, but just to encourage you that God's working among the Jewish people to help you witness to your Jewish friends effectively, um, you know, to, to help you connect the dots between the Old and New Testament. And um, just to encourage you, our, our director, David Brickner, has a devotional every month to kind of edify you in your walk with, with Christ. And we count it a privilege to be able to keep in touch with you on the monthly basis like that. And if you get the newsletter, fill it out anyway. We're not going to send you two of them. We've got a great computer. But this way, we, we, we'd love to know that you were worshiping here this morning. That would be great. Um, besides filling that out, you can be praying. Uh, what can you pray for? I'll give you something to pray for. We've got like six or even eight, depending on how we count them up, new missionaries on our staff who are training in New York City even as we speak. I'm part of the training team. I'll be out there twice this fall to be teaching them some of the skills they need to go out on the mission field. We've got people going to Israel, to France, to different parts of the United States. So pray for the new uh, crop of uh, missionaries. And if you, if you sign up for the newsletter, um, they'll be profiled in an upcoming newsletter. You'll be able to pray even a little better for them. Or, or the newsletters on the web also, so you can see it there. So prayer, great thing. Finally, um, there is a, a literature table where I'll greet some of you after the service out there. There's free stuff, there's stuff to purchase, including this clip is part of a 30-minute profile of the Israel outreach. It's called Flowers of the Sun. I've got a stack of them out there. Um, this can really you know, let you know what's going on with the evangelism in Israel and, again, help you to pray 
um, you know, more effectively or, or maybe with more knowledge about what's going on there. Last thing is, there's going to be an offering received for Jews for Jesus. Um, you don't have to give to fill out the card or to pray. But if you aren't going to give a donation, it's, don't change dollars, don't trade dollars with Parkway. You gave into the church offering earlier, I hope, and this is over and above your church giving, not in place. And having said that, if you do want to give a gift, it'll go for Jewish evangelism. There's a spot on the card to fill out an amount if you'd like a receipt, and with or without a donation. Um, we hope God will put it on your heart to, uh, to stand with us in the work of Jewish evangelism. So it's been a joy to be here with you. At this point, I want to call Dan up to do whatever pastors do after you have a speaker from Jews for Jesus. We like to pray.